There's something about a river that connects everything in nature together, like a, a junction or a meeting point for all creation. The world down there under the water, the world around us on dry land, and the skies above, the world of heaven. Last week we saw how John the Baptist was down here at the river offering a kind of spiritual reboot, a chance to start over at the beginning, to repent and prepare for the imminent arrival of a kingdom coming down from heaven. So one day, Jesus shows up to get baptized too. And in Matthew 3 we read, John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And this is how Jesus responds, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Here's where it gets interesting. Jesus goes down into the water, and when he comes back up, not only do the waters part, but the heavens do too. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, back in the Old Testament, God spoke about the people of Israel collectively as a whole when he was preparing to bring them up out of Egypt, up to the waters of the Red Sea. And he said, Israel is my beloved Son. Later on, God spoke more specifically to one Israelite, to King David, the one God chose to sit on the throne for his people. And he says, you are my son. Today I have become your father. But then much later, Isaiah the prophet writes of this mysterious suffering servant of God. And he says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. So what happens when heaven opens up over Jesus coming up out of the water? Matthew writes, and a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. A son, a king, a servant, the spirit, the one whom God loves and delights in, heaven, earth, and water, it's all coming together right here at the river. Happy New Year. Good to see you all here this morning, especially if you're a guest with us. We hope that uh, you feel very welcome this morning. Thank you for all of you who are watching online and on television. And again, if you're a guest with us online or on television, please, I hope you feel welcome. For those of you in the room, would you please uh, make welcome all those online and on television. If you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 13 through 17. Also, if you would, go to Romans chapter 6. We'll get there in just a few minutes. So, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, Romans chapter 6. As we go throughout this, as we're going throughout this series, one of the things that we are focusing on is making sure that we keep a big kingdom perspective. Uh, whenever we say the Apostles' Creed from time to time, even in here, we, there's that line in it that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. That word Catholic means the universal church, the big C church. Christ's body all over the earth. And so one of the things we're doing is each week as we're going throughout the study of Matthew is we're praying for another church in the river region. And today I want to pray for Pastor Claude McRoberts and Trinity Presbyterian Church. I know Pastor Claude, a wonderful man, and, and just so thankful for him being here in the city ministering with us and so thankful for this church. And so let's lift them up as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. 
We thank you because you have given us the gift of a new year. And Lord, as we enter into it, I pray that we would do so and truly be present in your presence. Lord, we lift up Trinity to you. We pray your blessings on them as a congregation. We pray your blessings on their leadership as they make decisions and try to navigate this pandemic. Lord, we pray your blessings on Pastor Claude. And Lord, we just pray you would protect him, keep him safe, healthy, and whole. Would you inspire his heart and mind as he leads your people? And Lord, now we ask that your kingdom would come right here at Fraser as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said... Amen. I remember the day like it was yesterday, to be honest with you. I walked down into some murky Tennessee River water. There were a few, two dead fish kind of floating off to the side. Really was. It was late in September, around September 23rd, and I remember walking into those waters, and I could not have been more excited because I was about to be baptized. A few weeks earlier, I'd given my heart to Christ, and I'd started reading the Bible. And I, what I, the, the part I read the most was Matthew chapters 1 through 7. That's actually not true because you kind of skip that first part in Matthew where there's all those names, you know. And so you don't know how to pronounce half of them. So you just kind of go to the narrative. And, and, but I was reading that first part of Matthew over and over and over again. And what I knew at that moment was Jesus was baptized. And I wanted to follow Jesus. So I needed to be baptized. Now, the problem with that was the, the church that I grew up in, the physical building itself, was built in 1908, and it was built as the first Jewish synagogue in the Shoals area. And so the, the church I went to, you'd walk in the doors, and, and right above the front doors going into the sanctuary area, there would be the Ten Commandments in Hebrew. You would go in, there was beautiful stained glass windows, but they all had the Star of David in them, okay? So this was originally built as a Jewish synagogue, and so there was no baptismal pool in there. And I grew up in a tradition that didn't sprinkle at all. And so if someone wanted to be baptized, you went, you went about a mile down the road to the river. And so, as I said, we waded out into the water at the boat ramp of all things. And you know how you kind of slide, there's kind of some, you know, slime there. Anyway, it was all good. It was all good and totally healthy. And we waded out in there, a couple of dead fish and, and pastor, uh, my pastor, Frankie, a godly man, amazing man. I remember he baptized me in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And again, all I knew at that moment my, my theological understanding of what was happening at that moment was simply, Jesus got baptized, I want to follow him, so I'm going to get baptized. That was all I knew. Now, we pick up the story of Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to be baptized by John. Now, remember, Jesus is reliving, retelling Israel's story. And just as Israel had to go on, on their journey to the promised land, go through the waters in order to get there, and the Spirit of God was leading them, here we see that Jesus' journey, too, is through the waters. And again, he is being guided by the Holy Spirit. John had been inviting people out to this baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And people were coming out and they were being baptized to have their sins forgiven. And now Jesus steps out of the crowd. He raises his hand and he says, my turn, my turn. Now, John seems to be caught off guard and he seems to fumble the moment a little bit. In verse 14, it says, but John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? 
Again, John's totally caught off guard here, and he's looking at Jesus, and he's saying, are you sure about this? Are you sure? Now, what we do know at this moment is that even though John may not have known everything of what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah, what he did know is that there is something different about this man. This man that he, he saw him grow up. There's something different about him. God has his hand on him. I'm sure they're telling the family stories about how all this came about. And even though he probably didn't know all the details of how that was going to be lived out, he knew something was different, very different, very special about this Jesus. And he looks at him and he says, Jesus, are you sure about this? Jesus responds in verse 15. He says, let it be so now. Now's the time for this. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then the text says that John consented. He said, okay, we'll do it. Right here in Jesus' statement of this moment, we have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. We see the culmination of some things and the revelation of some things. The culmination of some things is happening. Number one, Jesus is coming to fulfill God's plan for the Messiah. He is stepping out right here in this moment, publicly making himself known the Messiah is here. Number two, Jesus is coming as the Messiah and he will rescue his people, God's people, from spiritual and religious exile that they were living in. Just as God's people had lived in exile in the past, whether it be in Egypt or Babylon, once again, they're in a place of spiritual exile, religious exile. They're, they're waiting for the Messiah to come, the one who would truly set them free. And in this moment, Jesus is stepping out publicly again saying, I'm here to do that. Number three, the fulfillment of these promises is going to usher in a, a brand new age, a new age. Jesus is going to live. He's going to do ministry. He's going to gather people, and eventually he's going to establish this community of people called the church, and God's spirit is going to dwell within them, and they are radically going to change the world forever. And all of that is kicking off. All that is culminating and starting right here in this moment. But this moment is also revealing some things as well. First, Jesus is humbly going to humbly identify with God's people, including the humbling act of baptism. Baptism, in whatever form it is, you, you submit yourself to someone else. You go underwater, you come out of water. It's a very humbling act. And right here in this act that Jesus is being a part of, Jesus is telling us that he is going to do king, he is going to do kingship, and he is going to do kingdom in a very different way. Very different way. Number two, Jesus is going to live life from this point forward the way God intended. And in so doing, he is going to be the ultimate example for us to follow. He is going to be the walking, breathing, living example of what it looks like to follow God. If you want a theological term for it, Think, uh, the term is Christus exemplar, Christ our ultimate example. And again, he is the walking, breathing example that we have to follow. If you want to know what it looks like to be godly, if you want to know what it means to be righteous, you look to Jesus and you walk in his footsteps. But that's not all. Number three, Jesus 
is ultimately going to die in our place for our sins. He is going to die in our place for our sins, and he's going to conquer sin through this thing we know of as death and resurrection. Again, if you want a theological term for it, the theological term is penal substitutionary atonement. It's penal in that there is punishment. It's substitutionary in that Jesus is the substitute in our place, and it's atonement. It brings us back into a right relationship with God. Now, you may be sitting there wondering, what in the world does penal substitutionary atonement have to do with Jesus' baptism? It's a good question. But at this moment of baptism, this moment is a prophetic act at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that's actually pointing to the end of Jesus' ministry. This moment is a prophetic act at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that points to the end, the culmination of Jesus' ministry here on earth. Now, by the phrase prophetic act, what do I mean by that? A prophetic, a prophetic act occurs when someone is revealing the purpose and will of God either through word or action. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing right here in this moment. He is revealing the purposes and the will of God in the Messiah to come that ultimately the Messiah is going to die and be buried and then raised to new life. And Jesus is telling us and the first witnesses that baptism is ultimately a sign of death and resurrection. And in doing this, Jesus is uh, he's reframing, if you will, a very common religious practice of baptism. Baptism didn't start with John. It had been around for many, many, many years. All you have to do is look back uh, to the community at Qumran where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. They had pools where they would do ritual baptisms or washings. You would do this as you would go into the temple. It was a very common thing. But when Jesus steps out of the crowd, raises his hand and says, my turn, he redefines what this means and he points toward his death and resurrection. Now go to verse 16 and we look at the baptism itself. Verse 16 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, meaning he went under the water, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened and he saw, Jesus saw, the Spirit of God descending like a dove. It rested on him. Verse 17, a voice from heaven said, this is the Father's voice, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Now right here in Jesus' baptism, his experience and ours have some things in common. First thing I would point out is that Jesus' baptism was the first step, the first public step of him starting his ministry. It was not the last, but it was the first step. Jesus' prophetic act of being baptized to fulfill all righteousness becomes our first prophetic and righteous act as well as we follow Jesus on this planet. Prophetic, again, meaning it reveals the purpose and will of God for us. And then righteous in that it is the right step, the righteous step in following Jesus. It's where it all starts. Now, there was a debate going on in the church of Rome whenever Paul wrote the book of Romans. There were several debates going on, actually. But he addresses one of those in Romans chapter 6. And the whole kind of idea, if I could put it in rough language, is some people were wondering, they would say, well, since God is a God of grace, 
that's really good. Why don't I just sin all I want to so that God can just have more grace for me? And the more I sin, the more God gives grace. The more I sin, the more God gives grace. See the picture? So Paul writes in Romans 6, starting in verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? You see the issue. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. New life. We may live a new life. Paul points to baptism as this sign of something is happening. It's that first initial sign that we are moving from death to life and that we are called to live a resurrected life. Now this is important because this reframes how we look at existence on this planet. Think about it. We think about existence on this planet as we move from life at conception, we're born, we live life, and eventually we what? We die. So many times that's how we see existence, right? We're born and we live life as long as we can and then there is a funeral and there is a grave or you go to the columbarium or wherever you go. And that's how we see existence. In baptism, something totally different is happening. That whole process is being reversed in this moment. What we are saying, what we're proclaiming, what we're declaring is that I'm no longer just a human being living on this planet, moving from life to death. Now, I'm moving from death to life. We just sang about it a while ago in our song, by the way. Now, I'm moving from death to life. Now, my whole life is about putting off the old self, putting on the new self, becoming new in Christ becoming a new creation in Christ. So many times in life, uh, we're going through life, we're living life, and we kind of get these places where we're stuck. And we try to justify it in many ways. We say things like, well, that's just my personality. Or when it comes to treating people badly, we say, well, that's just who I am. Well, maybe who you are right now is not who Jesus died for you to be. Maybe there's some growth that needs to continue to take place. Maybe you don't have to live with that fallen personality or that way of thinking. Maybe you don't have to treat people that way. Maybe you could be different. Maybe Jesus died for you to start a journey from moving from death to life. And the longer you live, the more of the life of Christ Jesus is lived in and through you. Maybe you don't have to be stuck there. Baptism is telling us that the journey is now reversed. I'm no longer just trying to live life as long as I can until one day when I die. Now I'm getting rid of death and I'm living this new life in Christ that's going to last into eternity. Does that make sense? The third thing that I want to point out. We like to ask the question, where is God? It's a really good question. People have been asking that question throughout the pandemic with everything going on in the world. Where is God? Well, where is God when we're being baptized in that moment of baptism? What is God doing there? 
I think God is doing the same thing in our baptism that he was doing at Jesus' baptism. Notice that God is present, verse 17. He says three things. He says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That phrase, well pleased, means I delight in him. I delight in him. And I believe that when we are baptized, in that moment, God is saying those three things to us. He's saying, you are my son, or you are my daughter, regardless of age. You are mine. I love you. I love you with an everlasting love that no one, no one, no one could ever take away from you. And I delight in you. I delight in you, not because... You did something to earn that. I delight in you because I created you. You are mine. I love you. I delight in you. That is so different from how we think about relationships on this planet. The people that we claim as being in a relationship with us, the people that we love, the people that we delight in so many times, that those decisions on our part, those feelings that we have on our part toward another person is based off what that other person can do for us. And God is saying, no, no, this is not something you qualify for. Like all of our life here on this planet is about qualifying for something. Like you do a job application, do I get the job, do I not? You do a college application, do I qualify, do I get in or not? Some of you qualify for Medicare, you know, whatever it is, right? But it's like we qualify and we see if we can get in. And God's saying, no, 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 you're mine. I love you. No one can take that away from you. And I delight in you. Because I created you. So what we see happening here is, this is the first step, not the last, but the first. It starts this journey. We see that we are moving, now moving from death to life, not just life to death. God is very much present, declaring his love for us in this moment. The last thing I would point out is this. We need to remember, especially starting a brand new year, That baptism is a beginning, not an end. It's a beginning, not an end. You know, um, Neil talked to us last week, and he told us a story about how when people kind of bump into him, you know, he don't want them to know they're a preacher because people get awkward when they find out what you do. That is so true, by the way. Uh, And so... You know, there's nothing like an international flight and the person beside you right before you take off ask you what do you do. But um, it gets really fun after that. Uh, but I've had a lot of conversations with people. And it's like, you know, so you just kind of ask a question, you know, like, so you and God, is that a thing, you know? <laughs> you know, and the number one answer I've gotten over the years is, oh, I've been baptized. Good. All right. Good. Good. Anything else? Anything help, help me here? You know, anything else? And I'm not minimizing it at all. But so many times what we do is we see the bab- baptism as the end of the journey, not the beginning of the journey. Even for Jesus, this was the beginning of his public ministry. And it is for me and you as well. You see, the goal of baptism 
is to let your baptism mark the beginning of you living a baptized life. A baptized life. It is that first public sign of something is different. I've been claimed by God. I am loved by God. God delights in me and he wants me to delight in him. And it's different now. And the goal is not just to get wet in a religious service, although that's the first step. But it is to live a baptized life. One that's not full of sin and shame anymore. One where you've been set free to be who God has called you to be, to love him back, to claim him as your father, to love him, to delight in him, just as he's claimed you and he loves you and he delights in you. And so my question as we start this new year is how's that journey going? How's it going? How's it going living a baptized life? not just looking back at a day when you were baptized. We're going to have baptisms here in a moment, and that's their challenge, too. Today marks the beginning of a journey, just like it did for me, just like it did for you, if, in fact, you are a Christian in the room or watching online on television. My challenge to you is, how's that journey going? How's it going? If you've never made that step, we're going to give you an opportunity to here in just a few moments. But right now, my challenge is for those of you who claim the name of Christ, are you really living a baptized life? The good thing is, is that at least on the calendar, time kind of flipped over a couple of days ago. And we get a brand new year. And we get a brand new opportunity to live this year differently. And my prayer is that we would walk into it with our heads held high, knowing that God has claimed us, he loves us, he delights in us, and he wants us to claim him, love him, and delight in him, and live a baptized life this year. And my prayer is that that would be so. Amen. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for the ways you love us. I thank you for everything that you've done to bring us to this moment, to this year. And Lord, what better way to start this year than to first celebrate Holy Communion and we say thank you for what Jesus' baptism pointed toward, the death and resurrection of Jesus for us. And Lord, what better way to start a new year than to celebrate that with two baptisms? Wow. Lord, we pray that as we go throughout this year, we would not just live lives of existence, but that we would live baptized lives. Let it be so in each and every one of us. I pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said,